Amen. Praise God. What you have? Migraines? Asthma. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's good to see you folks. Hallelujah. It's good to be alive. If you are alive, we're alive here tonight. Praise God. We're going to live on. God's doing good things. People are getting saved and healed and moved upon. The Holy Spirit's opening doors that no man can close. Hallelujah. What city in Kenya is our dear sister from? Nairobi? Thika. Oh, yeah. I've been there. Praise God. In India. What part of India? Ah, is that in northern part? Southern. Close to Bangalore? Madras? Oh, it is. Praise God. I was in Tutukorin. You know that. Tutukorin? Is that close to that? You know, I did a crusade once in Tutukorin. And uh, a man from Madras, Assembly of God pastor, had me come in there and do a crusade. And um, <clears throat> in that, It was a terrible flop. I mean, there was just a small handful of people. Usually, you know, you get a bigger crowd in India, Africa, Philippines, some of these places. But uh, there wasn't much there. There was maybe seven, eight hundred people. And uh, I was just ready to, th I know that you got to understand overseas, you need 20,000, you know, more. And uh, that's what you're looking for. And so uh, this crusade, I just thought this is a terrible flop and I'll be glad to get home. So I'd already preached, prayed for the sick, did everything that we said we were going to do. And as I was walking out off that platform and going out of the crusade area, a man and his wife brought a little girl, 15 years old, up, and they said, would you pray for her? The first thing I thought, were you not here when I prayed a while ago? I'm going home. <laughs> and, you know, we're just humans. And I thought, what are, you, what are you doing this? You know, I've already prayed. But even in spite of my attitude, I just closed <laughs> in my eyes and I just prayed. Listen, I prayed in tongues. I just prayed in tongues. You know, when you're so... Uh, bummed out that you can't say anything, just pray in tongues. And I did. And I tell you, this hand was bent over to her wrist, bent over. And they were very concerned for her because they couldn't find a wife for her, I mean a husband for her to be uh, his wife. They couldn't because she had this condition. And they look over the people, you know. And it's uh, in, in uh, dowries and arranged marriages. You know about that, right? And so, amen. I believe in arranged marriages, but this dowry business, I'm telling you, we're going to have to get down with that. <laughs> they have it here. You, you need it here, do you? Well, you, you need some goats and some cows, and amen. <laughs> we'll bring a herd of them in here. And uh, she, uh, they said, would you, and I just, this hand was bent over. I just prayed in tongues. And a guy was with me that's a contractor. His name was Rick Watkins. Uh, he, he saw, I, that hand just straightened out perfect. Just perfect. And I opened my eyes and I was surprised. I said, wow. It's healed. Your hand's healed, Rick. And we thank God. Her ankle, she walked on the side of her ankle on the same side. It didn't get healed right then. But the next night during a worship service, that ankle straightened out. And she was completely healed. It's amazing what God can do. Amen. God can do. You know, it's not that we're doing something. It's not because of who we are. It's because God is doing something. 
You think about that. And sometimes we think, well, what can I do? What can I do? How can I make this work? Just do what God's doing and jump in and he'll do the work. Amen. It's not us, it's God. And so uh, I thank God for that. And, and, and so they talked me into carrying on that meeting for another day. That wasn't too good. I went another day and so it came time and they said, we've got you a luxury bus. This is first class. And I said, that sounds good. When I got on that thing, it was anything. It had no class whatsoever, <laughs> really. And I sat up there by the motor and I had on a white barong, a white long sleeve, beautiful shirt. And I sat right, and there was a big hole right by the motor. And that, that blow by and all those fumes were coming up through there. That thing was a different color when I got to where I was going. And we got to a town, they were, it was about two in the morning and they were having some big celebration and uh, some kind of a religious thing and the bus broke down. And they said, we're gonna have to do something here. You're gonna have to find a place. And I said to Rick, we've gotta find a cab. So I called a cab driver and I said, listen, I'll give you $100 if you'll take us to Madras. And he said, okay. And we have the longest taxi ride ever. Guinness Book couldn't touch it. That taxi ride went all the way till the next day at two o'clock. It was 12 hours in there. And I want you to know, I, from that day, I've hated taxis. Amen. Although I have taken them in Africa. Well, tonight I want to just minister for uh, a bit out of John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And deal with a revelation that comes forth out of a wedding. And this is important because this is an event that says something of the Lord's character, of his purpose, and his method. If you think about that, he's showing us something. And someone has said that in this wedding, this is the beginning or the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. And so it's a fantastic passage, beginning in John chapter 2. If you have it, say amen. All right. Here he says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing... In this translation, New American Standard, it says containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And so they had six of these. There had to be quite a number of people. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn, drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom. And he said, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is verse 11, the beginning of his miracles and his signs and the disciples believed on him. I want you to see just three simple things tonight that come out of this passage of Scripture that are so powerful. The first one is a revelation of uh, 
the Lord in the commonplace. And so ordinary people, we always have these visions of grandeur and all the pomp and everything, but these are just ordinary people with ordinary joys and sorrows that, that we all experience in life. And so here he is at a wedding in an obscure village. The bride, John doesn't even give her name. She must have been uh, a poor peasant girl. And the groom, he also leaves nameless. And so he's writing this, and Jesus accepts the visit, uh, invitation to a wedding, not because he's condescending or because it's his duty to do. He wanted to be there. And I think it's really exciting to see the Lord in the commonplace. I'm reading a book, and I don't know if you can get it or not, uh, maybe on some uh, website or some through uh, Google or something, but the name of the book is fantastic. It's not a, just a thin book, and the name of it is The Unknown Lincoln. And I've always loved to read about Abraham Lincoln. And so in that, you see that he was so common. I tell you, he was as common. He would show up in Congress or in the Senate or wherever he was meeting important people. He would show up. His shoes weren't shined. His pants were too short. His hair was messed up. He didn't even, he didn't even own a razor much of his life. And so this man was a great man, but he was so common. It's fantastic. And so when Jesus accepts this visitation, he is so common. And the, the, the gladness uh, and, the, and, and all this came with that. Uh, it wasn't because he had to. He accepted this and he attends because he is really keenly interested in this couple. Now, this really blessed my heart today as I was looking at this. This is typical of Jesus' conduct and his entire ministry. Something as small and insignificant as being at a wedding where we don't know who they are, and here they are, they're out of wine, and this couple is embarrassed. Something that we wouldn't think very important. Sometimes we think, well, God would do a big thing, but something as minor as this, something as small as this, yes, indeed. Everything that you're interested in, he's interested in. He's interested in. And so never once do we see him paying special attention to someone or particular attention to any man or woman because of their wealth. Never once because of their rank or because of their achievement or their star or their talented or their intellectual gifts or any of these, the social position. Never once. Man's way is that way, but God's way is opposite. It's opposite. You can read about this in the book of James. Man looks on the, and judges on the outward appearance and makes decisions and judgment, but God looks at and on the heart. That's where God looks. Not as we do. Now, since Jesus is interested in this bride and this groom, all that concerned them concerned him. Everything that concerns you concerns the Lord. That's where he is. That's how he is. And so an embarrassment comes to this, this couple. They could not furnish even the basic refreshments to sufficient quality. And it wasn't a matter of life or death. It wasn't a matter that they had needed a miracle of healing. It's just that they had run out of a necessary substance, wine, and they were embarrassed. And, of course, Jesus' mother steps in like most mamas do. Amen. So the Gospels are full. Let me just give you a couple of places. 
It says of Peter, he has a few friends. He's discouraged. He's ready to really quit this whole business of ministry. And he goes to his old, uh, old, his old uh, vocation and he's fishing. And they've toiled, the Bible says they've toiled all night long. They didn't catch anything at all. Here they are. And suddenly they hear a voice from the shore echo for, from the waters. Uh, and it came to them and it said something like this. Uh, Fellas, have you caught anything? Even there in their backslidden state, going back in their discouragement to their old vocation of fishing. And he says, cast your net on the other side and you'll be successful. And they heard that. Cast your net. It's the Lord. And they immediately began to question, well, we're, we're professionals. This is our occupation. He's telling us to cast our net. Let's do it. And then they had a great haul. Then he cries out again, and he calls. He says, fellas, come and dine. He has literally built a fire. He's prepared breakfast, and he says, come and dine. This is the Jesus that we're singing about. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He worked miracles, so many miracles, John says, that the books couldn't even contain them. Of all the miracles, there must have been so many. Josephus, the historian in that day, said there was a man called Jesus. And he says he did many, many things. He said there was a man, if you could call him a man. Oh, yes, indeed. Wherever he went, he touched people, met people, lifted them up uh, and met their need. And here are just a handful of discouraged, hungry fishermen. And their life is fruitless. They don't have anything to show for their work. And he says, come and dine. And gave them a new chance. Now I want you to see, that's the commonplace. And that's where Abraham Lincoln is. And that's the place that I want to be. Amen. I don't want to, I have, I have a friend, he says, why don't you get on television? Why don't you get on? He said, when you go in the airport, people know who you are. I said, I don't want anybody to know who I am. Amen. I want to mind my business. Go in and do what I'm called to do. Praise God. And so it's amazing that he met those people. He was very common. The second thing that out of this passage of Scripture that's so powerful is a revelation of the Lord's purpose. And regardless of the opinion of many, someone said, well, how do, what do I have to give up if I'm going to live for God and be a Christian? Well, you have to give up devils, demons. That's what you give up. Amen. And so the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us an abundant life. A life filled with joy. Joy that's unspeakable. The Bible says, and full of, of glory. Peace even beyond our understanding. You can't get that in the world. The world will beat you down. You've got to fight and claw your way through. And you can't trust very many people. Amen. I'm reminded of when my mother, she's just a little skinny, red-haired girl when she met my dad. And he only knew her nine days. And they got married. Nine days. So what are you folks waiting on here? <laughs> and, well, thank God they got saved. But she was packing those diapers, walking down in Waxahachie, Texas. Y'all ever heard of that place? And there was, they were in an Assembly of God Bible college there. And they were packing. She was carrying these diapers. Back in those days, you didn't have pampers. No, you had cloth diapers. And you had to get them into the bathroom and wash them out in the toilet and then wash them. I remember when, when we first had Paul and we had those cloth diapers. And 
man, I, we, she changed his diaper and, and folded it up. I said, give me that diaper. And I threw it out the window. She said, you, she said, you can't do that. Those, those things cost money. I said, well, we have to pay the price on that one. Praise God. But the, I, I learned that you can't throw them away. She's carrying those diapers, and she's just a little skinny, red-haired girl as she's walking down through there, and she's just packing those diapers, and as she's, she's not asking God for anything. She's just trying to get to the laundromat. And then the Lord spoke to her, and he said, don't worry about it. Someday you'll be a millionaire. Now, I want you to know God doesn't quit on his promises. God will bless you. God will bless you. I remember when we were walking downtown Nairobi, there was a little boy came up to my dad and he, he tapped my dad on the leg and he said, mister, if you give me money, God will bless you. <laughs> my dad looked at me and said, that boy's smart. He re reached in his pocket and got something and gave it to him. So Jesus and his purpose is that God is not a taker. He is a giver and he will be in debt to no one. Amen. And so his purpose was to transform and give new glory to everything he lays his hand upon. He, one man said he makes the useless into useful. He lifts the downtrodden up. He makes the colorless water of the worthless into the fine red wine of worthful. He is here to change the desert into a garden. He takes the world's uh, moral uh, waste and transforms it into the world's moral wealth. His main business is to reach fallen man and humanity and take them up and lift them up. Amen. You will not always be where you are. Keep your life full of faith. Hold on to the promises of God. Hallelujah. I remember when I was in University of Tennessee, I was in a pre-med uh, section and studying and my wife and I got right with God during that time. I was raised in church, but I really didn't know what it was to make a commitment. And so I made a real commitment. She did, and thank God, we were just happy to go to church. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all the time. And I had an old 55 Plymouth. We'd drive that thing, here we'd go to church. Well, we didn't have much money, and it was on E, and I was saying to Marie, don't worry about it. God's going to get us there. Well, leaving church, going about halfway home. We were 15 miles from home. About halfway, that thing started going, you know, jerking and, and giving up, and we ran out of gas. We ran out of gas. I said, well, let me go over to this farmhouse. And uh, I went over to the farmhouse. I said, have you got any gasoline? I've run out of gas here. He said, all I've got is diesel. I said, well, let's try it. Now, I've, I've proved that gasoline engines will run on diesel. You may not be cruising. You might be hopping down the road, but you get there. Just hang on. And she laughed so hard. I mean, this thing, I poured that diesel in there, and that thing just jerked and lurched and jumped right on down the road, but we made it. But there was a problem with that car. It had a hole like that bus in the bottom in the floorboard, and blow-by would come up through. You have to roll your windows down, even in the winter. But you know what? I looked at her and I said, listen, don't worry about it. It ain't always going to be like this. It, don't, it ain't always going to be like it is right now. Amen. And so it's his business to lift those that are lower into the higher and transform things for them. 
Amen. He finds these fishermen. He finds these, these people that are demon-possessed. He finds these people that are displaced. They have nothing to look forward to, and he lifts them up. It's the story of Jesus and how he works with people. That's why he takes water that's plain and turns it by a miracle into wine. They must, I believe, poured the water, and as they were pouring, the color began to change in the air as it filled 20 to 30 gallons in each container, and they took it in. This is the beginning. This is what he's saying. I'm setting a precedent here. My business is to transform people. My business is to change them and help them. And he takes all these people that have massive problems. I mean, fishermen that cussed and lived hard and fought and, and, and makes them into a rock. He takes John, James and John. They're wanting to do an airstrike on these people because they wouldn't accommodate them. He takes a grasping tax collector and changes Matthew. He takes a demon-possessed woman and he makes her a tremendous, she's the first to hear and to see the resurrection. Amen. In an intellectual giant like Saul, who is a menace to the church, he makes him into the greatest missionary. There's no one here Listen, tonight that he cannot do fantastic and big things with you. Hallelujah. Amen. Now there's another thing that I'd like to touch on and that is the method that Jesus used. He uses and he has a method. And he could have just spoken and there'd been wine in those containers. He could have just spoken and everything had been there. He had tremendous, uh, he was God. Somebody said, well, I thought he was man. He's God, he's man. Like that. He's God-man. And these servants, the Bible said that they cooperated with him. They didn't argue with him. They cooperated. It says in verse number 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And so God accomplishes his miracles through the aid of human hands. He's got to find someone that will step out by faith and believe God. Someone who will preach. Someone who will lay hands on the sick. Someone who will teach about healing and blessing and prosperity. I remember going to the Philippines a while back and there was a deaf boy in that crowd and his ears just popped open. And the man who took me in there was a, a man that knew about the gifts of the Spirit and miracles, but he couldn't, he could not believe it. He said, I, he just kept over and over saying, I'm amazed, I cannot believe, this is amazing. And I thought, you know what? This is what Jesus does. This is what he does. I remember going to the Philippines on another occasion and preaching there, but the man that was sponsoring the crusade was a homosexual. I know that's hard to believe, but it happened. And it's probably all over more than we realize. But nevertheless, I sent my money in to promote the crusade. He spent the money. He kept the money. There wasn't any advertising, very little. And I was bummed out. Got there, spent all that money, traveled all that distance to be there. We went out into a big field, and there wasn't 60, 70 people in that field. And I preached that night, and there was a woman with a gorder on her neck. I'll tell you the truth, as big as a large grapefruit. And it hung on her neck. And we came to the end of that service. Listen, let me tell you, feelings don't count. God counts. And sometimes we don't feel or hear anything, but God's still at work. 
He's still at work. I tell you tonight, someone here, you're wondering what's the outcome? What's going to happen with this money and this business and what we're doing? Listen, God is at work. He's putting it together. He puts the right people in your path. He gets the wrong ones out of your way. And he puts the right ones in your path. And so that night, just in a simple prayer, I preached. It's like, man, the, the words would just go to the ground. Nothing seemed to happen. But at the end, just a simple prayer. And that lady believed God. That tumor dissolved and there was just a flap of skin hanging there. It, it was an amazing miracle that God did. Hallelujah. The little boy with five loaves and two fish, he assisted the disciples. The disciples were involved in that miracle. Jesus could have just spoke. But listen, God's method is people. He said, I looked for a man. I looked for a woman to stand in the hedge and make up the gap. He was amazed. Whenever God moves, his method, folks, is you and me. He said, how can they hear unless there be a preacher? How can he preach unless he's sent? So his plan is to use us. That's his method. And that's what he did in John 2. He said, you fill the water pots, you pour it out, you give it to the head waiter. And as they did that, they saw something that the disciples carried throughout their ministry, and that was that God wants alliance with people. Hallelujah. The man that was carried on the roof by four friends, he got there because someone got him there. Lazarus, dead four days. Human hands had to un, uh, undo the cloth and had to take care of him. Fingers had to pull the cloth apart and loose him and let him go. And that's why the Lord said, whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. He's given us that authority. And there's a great harvest here for you. Tremendous thing here God's going to do. A wonderful thing that God's going to do. I don't have a doubt about it. And so this, he must send these people forth. As we open our mouth, as we begin to speak, God begins to do something. As we begin to speak, God begins to work. And there's a working of the Holy Spirit that brings these people to a place of decision. When these disciples cooperated with him, there was wine to spare. They had plenty. I want to tell you, like the song says, I love that song. Christ is ever the Christ of abundance. He has abundance. Hallelujah. He will bless you. Listen, he will give you a promise and he'll keep it. One of the words that he will give you is you will never run out of money. Never. Hallelujah. How many know that's a good word? Praise God. He is ever the Christ of abundance. When he wants space, he spreads it out to the point of the infinite. When he wants suns, he kindles them by the millions. When he wants stars, he sows them heavenwide. Even in our little world where I live in the Rockies, they're fantastic. When he wants flowers, he decks the hills and the fields with them. When he wants water, he scoops out. The writer says the seven seas creates rivers around the world and waterfalls by the thousands. God did that. I see the Victoria Falls over in Africa. I'd love to see those. God does that. It's an amazing thing what God can do when we are willing to cooperate. Miracles only happen as God find someone who will cooperate with him. I know I must have told this story here. 
of our uh, daughter-in-law, Joanna. Now, I don't know if you remember how that, does anyone uh, remember that? That's good. You remember it? Anyway, uh, our son, Dustin, went to Costa Rica. He felt led to go. In Costa Rica, he met your pastor, Pastor Blake, and they made a connection, became very good friends. It was in Los Cuadros that Dustin started a church. We didn't know when we went through Los Cuadros that uh, this place was the darkest place in, among probably the darkest place in, in Costa Rica. And there's a little church building there. Weeds had grown up, debris, trash, garbage all over. And we went in and we began to fix that place up. And we, went, we found the man who was supposed to be the owner. Uh, and we fixed it up, painted it, did all that to it. He didn't really own it. We were giving rent to him. And it was a community building. We just paid him. He didn't even own the building. He's a pretty smart businessman. And, but we found out different that he didn't own that building. Anyway, that's another, that's another story because they tried to kick us out of there, but I went to the uh, district of the Assemblies of God and, and uh, we had them jumping out of their seats in there. Amen. It was great. And we stayed there. But in that church down in Los Cuadros is what's called the ranchos. Dirt floors, no bathrooms, terrible everything, you know. And you've been there. You know, it, looks, it looked terrible. And out of that Los Cuadros, there came an older lady with a little girl. And it was there that our son Ben and her made eye contact. And how many know what eye contact can do? Yeah. Amen. And so uh, he ended up uh, coming back home and he told me, Dad, I want to marry her. I, I said, you love her? He said, I do. I want to marry her. I said, we're going to have to get her out of Nicaragua. Because that's where she was from. They were in Costa Rica, but her roots and her citizenship, Nicaragua. I called the governor. I called representatives. I called senators. I talked to uh, the, all the, the immigration people, talked to a lawyer. Everything, we couldn't get anything done. But I just began to believe that God's going to do something, and I just prayed in the Spirit. And as I prayed in tongues, I just called, and I said, I'm going to call the embassy in Managua, Nicaragua. And so I called them. The man answered the phone. I said, I'm from the United States. I'm a pastor. My son wants to marry one of the young ladies down there. They have a history together. They're both good people. And he said, well, you need to talk to a girl by the name of Rochelle. I said, well, put me on. He said, she doesn't take calls except between three and four. And I said, all right. Then he said, she'll call you. I said, well, give me her extension in case she doesn't call. And so he said, oh, this is her extension. And so it is that... Four o'clock, she had not called. So I called and pushed in the extension, and she answered. This girl answered the phone, and I said, is this Rochelle? It was silent. She said, how did you get my name? I said, well, the man there at the front gave it to me. She said, who is he? I said, his name is Juan. No pun intended. She said, there's no Juan there. <laughs> that's the truth. I said, there's no Juan, no Juan there. And I said, well, I don't know how. She said, my mother called me Rochelle, but she's been dead five years, and she's the only one that ever called me Rochelle. I said, maybe God's helping us here. And you know what? She said, get you a pencil and a piece of paper. And I wrote down about 10 things real fast. 
And she said, now you follow these instructions. And the next day we got a ticket. We were on the plane. There were air marshals on that plane. It was after the 9-11 deal. And we flew in to Managua, Nicaragua. She had to go through, get all the stuff with the police and background checks and health and all that. But within one week, they were married and we were back going home, back to the United States. And I'll never, I'll never forget little Joanna coming into, I believe it was Dallas. And as she came in, the lady, she said, told me, told me don't open this manila bag, this package, because they'll turn you right back. So we handed it to the lady at the desk and she ripped it open and she went through all those papers. She looked up, smiled at Joanna and said, welcome to America. And since then, praise God, she's gotten her citizenship. Amen. And so I told her, well, now that you're a citizen, you gotta vote like, you gotta vote like Papa does. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I'm telling you that God uses people. God uses people. He wants to use you. Amen. And I've got so much here, I just, I'm so excited about what God's doing. You remember about H.B. Garlock in Liberia? Does anybody remember that? H.B. Garlock, this is absolutely the truth, was in Liberia. And in those days, and still in some cases, there's uh, cannibalism. And there, were, there was cannibalism then. And, you know, it, it kind of amazes me how God works. But this man lost one of his good friends, H.B. Garlock. You can read it in a book we have at, in Colorado Springs called Before We Kill and Eat You. That's the name of the book. And it's excellent. And his friend had been taken captive and was in this tribe in the interior of Liberia. I've been in Liberia. Matter of fact, that's where they're having a real problem with Ebola. You remember the guy who came out of there and God saved his life. I don't know if you know about that. But it, uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing, this Ebola. It's a sign of the last days. Amen. Now they found another strain that they're concerned about. Now there's another terrorist group beside uh, ISA. There's another one that's sprung up. And all this, what's happening? Bible prophecies coming to pass. We're marching into Armageddon. We're getting ready for the end, folks. I've never in my life seen such a global economic problem as we have seen. And in the middle of all that, God wants to bless you. That's right. And so his, his good ally was taken away and... He went into that jungle to rescue this man. H.B. Garlock had, had the guts of a packing house. And he went in there and he, they, they caught him and put him in one of their huts. But when they were celebrating, somehow he got out of there and they grabbed him and drug him over to the place. By the way, the man that he was, was rescuing was in the hut with him. He, they grabbed them both, took them over, and they had the fire, they had the water, they had all the necessary things to cook them. And uh, they're dancing, there's demonic activity there. And they said to him, before we kill and eat you, what are you going to say? He didn't know their language. I could just, the man that was caught told them, this is what they're saying. You need to plead your case. He didn't have the words, he just had a few syllables in their language, in their dialect. And he raised both hands and he began to speak in tongues. I want to say something here. Speaking in tongues is a valuable gift. It is a wonderful gift. Don't believe these people that are fundamentalists that tell you that's all past, God doesn't do that. No, it's, it's for today. 
He said he raised his hands, and about that time, a man came out of the dark, took a chicken that was alive, twisted his head off, sprinkled blood all over everybody and on him, and the, uh, the uh, chief said, get out, go. And he said, we didn't ask any questions. They got out of there. They ran for their lives. Now, the following week, as he's walking downtown in Monrovia, Monrovia, an old man came across the street. That old man walked over, and he looked at H.B. He said, I know you. He said, how do you know me? He said, you were in our tribe last week, and we were going to kill and eat you. He said, why didn't you kill and eat me? He said, because when you began to speak, you spoke in our language, and you said what God was going to do to us if we hurt you. And that's why they said, go, get out of here. I'm telling you tonight, this is a supernatural book. God's looking for supernatural people. He will win this community. He will shake this city. He will give you great revival. Just be willing to move and do what he says. Fill the water pots. Whatever he says to you, Mary's had the key. Do it. Whatever he tells you, do it. Hallelujah. Miracles happen today. And this is where it says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I tell you tonight, God's in this place. You people are wonderful. Be here on Sunday night. Listen, there's a fight against Sunday night all across this nation. There, many people have given it up. We, we haven't given it up either. Amen. We get people saved. We see people healed. We see good things happen. All because it's the Lord's day. All of it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's pray.